Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number nine of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Founder Podcast. Hope you're all having a great week. Uh, Things have been pretty crazy for me this week. I've had to move house, had some interesting and exciting emails that have come through that I'd like to share with you all. And yeah, things have just been crazy. I just wanted to start off with telling you a little story. Today, I actually received an email from Apple. And this email is essentially the golden ticket to as an app developer. You see, so one of the most hardest things when you create an app is getting it found, marketing it. I think a lot of people think you just come up with a great idea with an app and then just put it in the store and you'll make millions of dollars. Well, that's actually far from the case. And pretty much all the most successful apps or the most successful developers are the ones who just keep producing more and more apps and they just keep working and iterating on creating new apps and games and and whatnot. Or alternatively, they keep working on that one app. There's actually some really interesting studies shown that show the longer time people spend on working on their app, you know, marketing it, growing it, building it, iterating, the more money they end up making. The longer that they stick around, it turns out that the longest developers around tend to be successful with their apps. Where am I going with all this? Well, I actually received an email from Apple today telling me that uh, they really like what I'm doing with Founder and they'd love to feature it on the front page of the 
Apple Newsstand, which is the section for the digital magazines. So I was just absolutely ecstatic. I, I was just like, wow, this is like a golden ticket. I reckon about, I read some statistics, like, you know, one in a hundred thousand get this email. And, you know, a lot of people try and get featured by Apple through their connections. And a lot of people write about what the special, I guess, secret source is to get featured. And I just wanted to share with you, you know, how and why I think that has actually happened, why Apple have come to me and said, well, hey, we really like what you're up to and we want to show off the stuff that you have created to make us look great. And I was blown away by that. So if there's anything you can learn from me and how to get your app featured or how to actually get recognized for your work, it's pretty simple when I sit back and think about it. It's just showing up every day. Don't listen to the doubters. Do you know how many people told me that Founder was a stupid idea or they thought it was just some stupid pet project or, you know, that it would never work? And then here I am. I've left my job. Founder's a profitable business and I get to interview some of the most successful entrepreneurs around the world and I'm just having a lot of fun doing it. So if there's anything you can learn from me is that your product matters. You know, it's it's not going to explode after day one. You've got to give it time. You've got to learn. You've got to speak to your customers. You've got to find out what their deepest desires, frustrations, problems are and speak to them. Find out what you can give to them. Keep iterating your product. Design matters. If there's anything that somebody always comes to me about Foundry, if it isn't about the content, it's the design. It has to matter, especially when it comes to making an app. Lastly, keep showing up every single day. Don't listen to the haters. Don't listen to the people that you know are negative about what you're doing or try and talk down to you and think you're an idiot. Because at the end of the day, if you believe enough in the vision and you keep showing up, great things will happen to you. I promise you that. The big wins will come, but it takes time. You have to be patient. So that's it from me and what's been happening with me this week. I've, yeah, it's been a great week. Hope you're all having a great week too. So that brings me to today's guest. You guys are in for a treat. We have the CEO of SurveyMonkey, Mr. Dave Goldberg. And I was lucky enough to speak with him around how he's grown SurveyMonkey into a billion-dollar company. He shares with us around his journey as an entrepreneur and how he turned Launch Media into a company that was IPO'd and sold to Yahoo. He shares with us some of his greatest secrets into building an awesome culture, an awesome team at SurveyMonkey. Finally, he talks to us about the vision and how important it is so sit back and enjoy, guys, because uh, this interview is a game changer. It, I'm really fond of it, and I hope you all have a great week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review, tell your friends, tell your family, and if you want to check out Founder Magazine, you can at foundermag.com forward slash iTunes. That's for iPad and iPhone and iPod, and for Android devices, it's Mag forward slash android that's it from me today guys have a great week and now it's time to jump into the interview 
Today I'm speaking with Dave Goldberg. He's the Chief Executive Officer of SurveyMonkey, the leading provider of online survey solutions. Dave has been a successful entrepreneur, investor, and technology and music industry executive. He has run and successfully grown several online consumer businesses. Dave, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time. Well, it's great to talk to you. No, it, it's an absolute pleasure. So can we just get started on how you ended up doing the work you're doing today? Can you give us a rundown of how you got started on your journey through as, as an entrepreneur? Sure. Um, well, in some ways, it started here in Sydney. After university, I worked at Bain & Company, the consulting firm, and I ended up coming down to Sydney to help open the office here. Decided I didn't want to be a consultant forever and ended up leaving here, heading back to the States and getting a job working at Capitol Records in LA in the music business. And then from there, decided that as much as I was interested in the music business, I, I needed to try running something and no one at the age of 26 was going to let me run anything. So I decided to start my own company because that was about all I could do to try running something. And I had this idea that the discovery of music would be a lot better on the computer than it would be on radio or on television. So this was 1993, a long time ago. I quit my job and with my best friend from high school, started the company, borrowed money on my credit cards, worked out of my apartment, asked everybody I knew for favors, and did that's what people did. Now, unlike today, I really didn't know anyone who'd ever started their own company before. So, Unlike today, you didn't really know anyone that started their own company. Well, so entrepreneurship wasn't really that big back then. I mean, there probably were. I just didn't know anybody. And so, and I certainly didn't know people who'd raised financing to do it. And there was no, there weren't internet companies back then. There was AOL and CompuServe in the U.S., which were sort of dial-up type of services. You know, we raised money from friends and family. Those are the only people who will give you money on just a business plan when you're 26 years old back then. But we were able to build a prototype and show people what we wanted, and then we were able to raise some more money and eventually, you know, start hiring people, eventually start paying ourselves. And business grew more and more successful online music companies. And eventually I took it public in 99 and sold it to Yahoo in 2001. And I stayed at Yahoo for six years running that business until I decided it was time to leave Yahoo. And then you joined SurveyMonkey, is that correct? Yeah, well, I spent about a year and a half in between Yahoo and SurveyMonkey trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I'd really been doing music for 13 plus years. And I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do next. I knew I didn't want to keep doing what I'd been doing. So I looked at a lot of different things. And at the time, I, I what I did was I sat at a venture capital firm in the U.S. called Benchmark. And I was an entrepreneur in residence, which is a fancy title for trying to figure out what you want to do next. So I looked at a lot of different things. And I got approached by a couple of the investors who were in the process of buying control of SurveyMonkey from the founder. And they approached me and said, hey, we'd love for you to help us take a look at this. I started looking at it. I knew the product. I liked the product, but I never really thought about it as a business. It turns out it was just a fantastic business with a huge opportunity ahead of it. But it was only 12 people at the time. And so they really hadn't sort of taken advantage of what could be done with the business because it was just a small team. But it was a great business. It was very profitable, generating a lot of cash. And there was just so much more that could be done with it. So... I signed up. I said I would become CEO. I invested some money in the deal. And in April 2009, we closed the deal. And I started on day one with 
my 12 employees and, and me trying to figure out how to take SurveyMonkey to the next level. I see. And how many employees do, does SurveyMonkey have now? We're about 320. We've hired a lot of people. We brought the margins down, but they were they were pretty high before. So <laughs> they're still pretty good. We're still quite profitable. They're not quite as high as they were originally. Mm, I see. So, look, there's a lot of really interesting things I'd like to unpack there. The first thing I'd like to delve into is, is your is your first business, Launch Media. So you launched that in 1994. And I wanted to know, what were your biggest challenges with that business? It got acquired in, by Yahoo. What was your biggest challenges at the start? Because not it's not that often that you build a startup and it gets acquired by a big company like Yahoo. Like that is kind of, it is rare. Well, I mean, first of all, it's certainly not something you can plan on. So I guess what I would say is you certainly don't go into these things planning to get acquired or to go public or to make a lot of money. You go into them because you've got some other motivation. I always encourage people if they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur because they want to make a lot of money, they should find a different line of work. Because being an entrepreneur on a risk-adjusted basis is not a very good path to making a lot of money. You may make a lot of money as an entrepreneur, but the likelihood is you won't, and it's it's hard. So, and you, the, the same thing is true of getting acquired by a big company. I mean, the irony of being acquired by Yahoo is that we actually started our company before Yahoo did. They started after we did. <laughs> and I know this because we got acquired by Yahoo, you know, seven and a half years after I started the company. And they backed up the official start date for calculating my benefits at Yahoo to the date I started launch. And it was so my partner and I, we had. We got more vacation than anybody else at Yahoo, including the founders of Yahoo, because we technically were there earlier. So, you know, you certainly can't be acquired by a company that doesn't exist. Look, you've got to build a business and you've got to do it one step at a time. And I think what's really important is having a mission that you believe in. And in our case, for, for launch, it was really, we wanted to change the way people learn about discovered music. We thought radio and MTV were completely broken. And we thought the computer was going to allow people to get access to the they wanted without having to hear the stuff they didn't want and that that was really important for music. So we had a mission we believed in. We didn't exactly know how we were going to do it. We had a bunch of different ideas, but those are more the tactics that you'd apply. And we changed them over time. We started out by putting out monthly CD-ROMs that was kind of like broadband on a disc with interviews with bands and live performances and advertising. And we were some of the first people to ever do advertising at scale on people's computers. We were doing it before there were banner ads. Because you had to just figure stuff out, and it, it seemed like okay, this is this is an opportunity. So the, the challenges there were a lot of them. I mean, the first challenge was people told us no one would ever want to listen to music on a computer. A lot of reputable people, a lot of very smart venture capitalists and advertising executives. People told us no one would want to watch ads on a computer. There'd never be enough multimedia computers to matter. I mean, all sorts of things people said to us as we were along the way. I mean. I made a lot of mistakes on how to raise money because I had no idea how to do it. And every time I finally raised a round and I thought, well, that was terrible, but I got through it and I'll be better the next time. The next round was a different kind of fundraising round. And, you know, I didn't do very well in the next one either. I, you know, I, I, it's not something, you know, you can school and someone teach you. Unfortunately, the only way to do this is to, is to do it. And you can get advice from people who've done it before, but learning it yourself is is probably the only way to really get better at it unfortunately i'm curious when you said that that you had a lot of doubters that that people like you know venture capitalists and people in the industry said that 
it wasn't going to work, what you're trying to do with launch media, what kept you going? Well, it's not it's not okay to ignore people and they tell you it's not going to work and they have good reasons why it's not going to work. You need to listen to those reasons. You need to have a, be able to sort of explain to them why they're wrong. And I think we had enough good reasons why they were wrong and why they were missing things. And we had enough people who did believe that what we were doing was going to make sense, that we were sort of able to push past and overcome those things. But oftentimes when we would talk to investors, there would be investors – you know, sort of more younger investors who were more kind of closer to our age would be like, yeah, of course people are going to do this on with music on a computer. And then they'd go to their senior partner at the venture firm and they would be like, no one's ever going to listen to music on a computer. And so there were some generational issues, but the younger people kind of got it. You know, so so you, you get heartened by those things. You, you push through, you, you find ways to make things work. And we almost ran out of money a bunch of times. We had to get new credit cards to keep ourselves going. You know, you just find ways to make it work, but you also recognize that most startups fail. And we knew that going in and we were prepared for that. And I think you want to prepare for it not to work. You want to do everything you can to make it work, but you want to prepare for it not to work because most startups fail. And, you know, we felt like at least even if we failed, we were, we knew that there was something there and we'd always be able to go get jobs. And so I think part of the ability to take the risk we did is that we were young, we didn't have families, we didn't, didn't need a lot of money to live on it. You know, there was, there's a lot of, there's a lot to that, but part of it was also that it wasn't that big a risk that we were taking. Now the risk got greater after we raised more money and we started hiring people. Then it was like, wow, I'm, I'm asking somebody to quit their job and they've got a family and they're counting on me to sort of have cash. And, you know, this isn't a profitable company and I'm going to have to keep raising money and I don't know how I'm going to do that. So that got a lot scarier, but um, you figure out ways to make things work. Did it ever occur to you in your mind that, that you would achieve the level of success you have with, with the businesses that you've grown and, and developed? Well, I don't <laughs> – I think I've got a long way to go still. So I don't think I've – I mean, yeah, I, I feel good about where I've gotten to and businesses that I've built. You know, I think there's still a long way to go. And it's fun to see what's happened with online music that we've been proven right and sort of has changed the way people listen to music. And I think we're – kind of on the way to sort of transforming the way people make decisions with data with SurveyMonkey, but still a long way to go in both areas. It's not mission accomplished yet. But no, you certainly can't, you can't start at the beginning with these things and think, well, this is where we're going to end up because it, it sort of sounds too crazy. You sort of have to assume you're going to fail and if you succeed, you're pleasantly surprised. Oh, really? See, you strike me as somebody that would just never give up and you just will make it work no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true, but but I still sort of I knew the odds and I knew rationally there was a very good chance it wasn't gonna work. So I was gonna do everything I could to make it work, but I was sort of resigned to the fact that there would be odds were against me. We ended up beating the odds and I remember one point in time I think the odds are that ninety five percent of startups in the US fail within five years. And so we got to our five year mark and we had to fail and I said, Well, we've beaten the odds to this point. But we still didn't have a you know a profitable company. We had a successful company at that point in time, but it wasn't profitable. So when you really kind of feel like you've made it is when you you start generating profits, and then that's kind of long long term sustainability. And that took me to actually being at Yahoo to sort of generate profits for the business. Mm, I see. I'm curious. There's one more thing I'd like to ask you on that first business before we jump into Survey Monkey. It's what have you had to sacrifice to get where you are? You know, I think 
certainly those early years of that business, I didn't have a lot of fun. I didn't have a lot of free time. I mean, I worked pretty much every day for the first two years. And then after a couple of years, I started taking one day off. So I don't think my health was that great. I don't think I had a lot of outside interests or life that was fulfilled. I mean, it was certainly a kind of very single focused existence. So certainly that's not a, a good long-term strategy for a happy life. And I, you know, kind of certainly have reset my priorities at this point. Yeah, I know, because I, I was reading when I was doing research for for this interview, as the CEO of SurveyMonkey, you always go home at 5.30. Is that right? Yeah, yes, yes. I have to with my kids. Yeah, and I, I've learned, I mean, I've learned that, you know, I can be very productive and very, and get a lot done, and but not spend, you know, 16 hours a day at the office. And the nature of work has changed, too. I mean, so much of it is now online anyway, that to say I go home at 5.30 is true, but I don't stop working for the day at 5.30. I mean, I, I have dinner with my family, my kids go to bed at 8, and then I'm usually back online for a couple of hours after they go to bed. So it's not a 9 to 5 job, but, but it is like important to sort of be with my family, you know, for dinner. Let's switch gears and talk about when you joined SurveyMonkey. When I think of online surveys, and I think this is the case for most people, they think of SurveyMonkey. That's what we hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned briefly that some people that were buying the business attracted you to become the CEO. What what was your main focus behind joining that business and, and wanting to grow it? Yeah, I mean, so I, looked, I saw a couple things with it. I saw like a great business, but really not much of a team. And so it was kind of a chance to sort of, you know, build a team and a culture, which I really like doing but I was already starting with a great business. And so that was kind of a nice thing. And I was kind of able to do things that I wasn't really able to do in my first company, which was to sort of hire ahead of where the business was at that point in time, knowing that the business was able to handle the kind of growth. And I was able to hire, you know, very senior people into a 15 or 20 or 25 person company, knowing that we get to be a couple hundred people eventually and telling them that's where we were going to end up. So that was a great thing. And I, I, I secondly, I just, having a big impact and having a mission that I believe in is, is really important to me. That's sort of what motivates me and allows me to motivate other people. And so I love the idea that we were helping people make better decisions with data. And that just got me very excited as a very broad mission, but that we were really, and you know, we, we get 75 million completed surveys a month all over the world on all different kinds of topics and people are using that data to make a decision. Sometimes they're big decisions, sometimes they're little ones. But people find it an incredibly useful, valuable tool for them. And it and there's just so many more things we can do with it. So it just it's like kind of even though the company's almost fifteen years old, where we barely started on what, what can be done with it. I see. There's quite a few things I'd like to unpack and, and the first thing is what did you bring to SurveyMonkey that you learned with Launch Media that you've used to scale that business? I think the knowledge that I wanted to start with a business that was already profitable, that was, that was a much better starting place. <laughs> um, so that, that's not always easy to do, but that, that was... Look, I think I brought with me the fact that I had really, over time, figured out how to build great teams. And I did that at launch, and, and I think I've done that at SurveyMonkey. And at the end of the day... 
I think my job as CEO is three parts. One is to have the overall strategy for the company. The second part is to hire great people and motivate them. And the third part is just to help them do their jobs. And so I kind of learned how to do a lot of those things with launch. I wasn't that great at it over time, but I learned and I got better at it. And so I was able to kind of take a lot of that learning, particularly on hiring people and building a team. And I kind of learned what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I I tend to hire people who are good at the things I'm bad at and like to do the things I don't like to do. I sort of feel like people, you should hire people based on their strengths and you want to build a great team of people who are strong at all the things you need. So I'm not good at everything. I don't expect everyone I hire is good at everything. I want to hire people who are good at things that I'm not good at. I'm curious, what do you look for in people who are smarter and more talented than I am? Mm. You know, I mean, if I can convince those people to come work for me, then I'm doing a pretty good job. And how do you convince them? I've got to believe in what I'm telling them is the reason they should come work with me. You know, I got to believe in the mission. I believe we're going to have a big impact. I believe that we're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to learn things. I see. And your culture, you mentioned that you want to build a really good culture. Can you tell us more about that at SurveyMonkey? Yeah, I think we want to have a culture that there's a lot of respect for people, that you have, that everyone understands that we're building this great team and that everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. And we're going to try to get people into the, the roles that play their strengths and that we are going to work hard but work productively. And it's not about long hours. It's about trusting people to sort of get the right people, get the work done, and work smart. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, we're going to be at this for a long time. So I want people to sort of have the ability to sort of not like, you know, run like crazy for a year or two and then just get burned out. Like we need to be able to do this for a long time. And that means it's got to work for people's lives as well as, you know, what they do at work. Mm, I see. And correct me if I'm wrong, but SurveyMonkey has 15 million users now? Or is it 150? We're now over 20 million registered users who create surveys. It was 15, you're right, but it, it, we've adjusted the, the number as we got over 20. So we're over 20 million registered users who create surveys. We have obviously a lot more people than that. We have you know, 70 million plus a month unique visitors that are taking surveys. But we have um, a lot of survey creators, obviously not all of them creating every month, but it's a, it's a, it's a really easy to use product that creates a lot of value for our users. And most people use this for free that most people use our free product and then some proportion of people decide to pay us, but enough people pay us that we, we do quite well financially and and we don't really have kind of marketing or sales costs because of that. So that's that's helped us build a really great profitable business, basically giving away your product for free. I see. And and that's why you like the freemium business model for this instance? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think in our case, it's sort of, it works very well. And we also have this effectively a viral loop because the more surveys people send out, the more people learn about it. And some of those people will eventually come back and create a survey and send it out. And so even if our free users never pay us, they're still helping us because they're sending out surveys that will, you know, let other people know about SurveyMonkey. Interesting. So let's switch gears again and and I'm curious, who have you learned from that has taken you to, to doing the work that you're doing today? It's something I always find interesting. You know, I've learned from a lot of different people. I mean, I learn a lot from my friends who are 
you know, also entrepreneurs, you know, my business partner in my first business was my best friend from high school. We worked very closely together for, you know, a really long time, sat next to each other for 13 and a half years. So, I mean, I certainly had people who helped me along the way. I had one of my original board members in my first company was the one of the founders of Macromedia, and he was a great help because he was like the only person I knew who, you know, raised venture capital and built a pretty decent-sized business from scratch. And since then, with SurveyMonkey, I have a lot of people who've helped me, you know, my board and my friends and people I worked with at Benchmark and people like, you know, Reed Hoffman is, uh, from LinkedIn has been you know, one of my great advisors. And I have a group of um, other internet CEOs. We have dinner once a month and I get together with them and we talk about things. And I mean, YPO is another group of sort of CEOs who are all going through similar kinds of experiences. So I've got a lot of people I talk to and give me advice. And it's, it's hugely valuable. Yeah, because that's one thing I'm learning from a lot of the people I speak to is they never just go off and make decisions by themselves. They're always running things by people and getting a second, third, fourth, fifth opinion on things. Is that much the case for you with some of the decisions that you make? I think with big decisions, yeah. I don't think you want to do that with every decision. But I think with big decisions, sure. You know, deciding to take the job at Ferry Monkey, I talked to a whole bunch of people about it. You know, when I did this, big financing a year and a half ago instead of going public, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people about that and, you know, people giving me their arguments why I was right or why I was wrong and weighing those things. And, you know, you learn from hearing people's opinions, but you also learn from kind of debating some of that stuff with them too and sort of poking holes in their arguments and then seeing where you can't poke holes and it's like, oh, well, maybe they're right. So I love kind of having those discussions and debates with people because it helps me tremendously sort of figure out where where I see things mm, I see from the people that you learn from what's what's like one of the best pieces of advice that you've been given that you'd like to share <laughs> oh, I have lots of them but I think one of my friends when I first moved to LA to work in the music business said to me you're a nice guy just remember that this is a town filled with people that aren't that nice he's like be nice to everybody and I don't mean just, you know, senior people. He's like, every assistant someday will be like a senior person. And they rem- they'll remember who was nice to them and who wasn't. And, you know, I think it's just sort of my general attitude anyway, but it was a great reminder that like, you know, it really pays to be nice to everybody you engage with, even if it's like the janitor in the hallway. And so I've, I've always taken that approach and it's, it has been hugely beneficial. Plus I, I feel good when I do it. So it's been a win-win. It has happened a bunch of times where you know, some really junior person, but I was, I was nice to them. And, you know, then they all of a sudden became a senior person. They remembered, me, you know, and they helped me out. And so that's kind of an easy thing to do. I mean, anybody can do that. I think on the opposite side, someone once said to me that we make a lot of mistakes in hiring, but the biggest mistake we make in hiring is not getting rid of people too soon. And they said, you know, when you hire the wrong person, you never get rid of them too quickly. You always wait too long. And it's just sort of painful to get rid of somebody. And so we just wait too long. And you have to just force yourself to do it sooner. And then once you've done it, you'll, you'll realize, oh, my gosh, I should have done it earlier. But, you know, they said to me, you never regret getting rid of the wrong person too quickly. Mm. That's really interesting. Well, look, we have to work towards wrapping up, Dave. I, I'm, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> 
This has been fun for me. It's a, it's a good trip down memory lane for some of the old stuff too. So, yeah. Well, look, the biggest focus with with the magazine and and to help our audience is we really want to debunk and and find out what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur. And I just want to know what what do you believe it takes to become a successful entrepreneur? I think you need a couple things. I think you need a mission and a passion for that mission that you believe in because you've got to figure out a way to get through the tough times. And so you got to believe in that mission. You got to have faith. And then the second thing is you've got to be able to sell people on that mission and that faith. You've got to be able to sell investors, employees, journalists, customers, everyone's got to sort of believe that mission. So those two things have to go kind of hand in hand. And that's why, you know, you shouldn't start something you don't really feel passionate about because if you don't feel passionate about it, you won't be able to convince people about it. Awesome. All right. Well, look, um, I've really enjoyed talking with you today, Dave, and it's an absolute honor to, to be speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, it was great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.